0: Come the war, come the avarice, come the war, come hell. Come at your shine, come the rig of bones. Come at your shine. Come hell This is why Why we fight Why we die away This is why This is why we fight When we die We will die with our arms unbound This is why This is why we fight Come hell Bride of quiet right of all unquiet things Ride of quiet, ride of hell. And come the archers, come the infantry, come the archers of hell. This is why. Why we fight, why we lie awake This is why, this is why we fight When we die, we will die With our arms unbound This is why, this is why we fight Come help Come help This is why why we fight why we lie away this is why this is why we fight when we die we will die with our arms unbound and this is why This is why we fight So come to me Come to me now Lay your arms around me This is why This is why we fight Come hell Come hell Come
1: hell, come help. Colin Malloy, Chris Funk, and Sarah Watkins. This is why we fight, and this is KRFP, 90.3 FM, Moscow, Idaho, krfp.org. I'm John Andrzejczyk. The show is Labor Lines. I'm recording this on the 14th of August to play on the 21st, I believe, a couple of Tuesdays, should have known that exactly, but the week after next. I'd like to start out by thanking Jill and Mark Lawrence for adopting Labor Lines with KRFP's Adopt-a-DJ program. That's one way you can support a specific program of all our great programming on KRFP, a community-supporting radio station. You can find out how to do that, how to become a regular member, by going to krfp.org i really like to encourage you to do so. Uh, with COVID and all, we've lost a lot of our uh, annual fundraising events. Uh, somehow, thanks to uh, Lee Robertos, our manager, and the great KRFP board, we still got it on the rails, uh, but please don't take it for granted. I find it an honor to be able to do this show, Labor Lines. I'm going into my third year. I'm going to be replaying. A three-part interview, excuse me, I'll take up most of the show with Mark Anderlich. We're going to talk about austerity and neoliberalism. The reason I'm I'm replaying this is uh, in the near future, in a few weeks, I hope to have Mark back on. And we're going to be reassessing this situation in a light of the current action or uh, potential action coming out of the U.S. Congress, the infrastructure bill. And more importantly, the larger bill after that. Are we seeing at least some dents put into this neoliberal economy model? Before that, well, I'm going to be playing some music for the first half hour of this show. I'd like to talk about the music for a little bit. It's not some folks feel it's not true labor songs, but I I think they reflect the dilemma of workers and their families in uh, the last part of the 20th century as we got into uh, neoliberalism, globalization, deindustrialization, which is obviously the topic of the interview coming up. So from Springsteen and his song, The River, up to uh, drive-by truckers, 21st century America, uh, the pretenders with my city was gone. On and on the lament uh, of the human toil of an economic policy in which all we are are factors of production. So if you'd like to get a hold of me, you could do that at laborlinejohn at yahoo.com or on Twitter at laborline. So again, coming up with most of the show will be that replay of the interview, but the first half hour will be some music. Thank you for listening.
2: When I get on from work, I'll call up all my friends and we'll go bust up something beautiful We'll have to build again And i get home from work I'll wrestle off my clothes and leave them right inside the front door Cause nobody's home to know See the hammer finds a nail The freight train needs a rails Yes, I'm doing what I'm on this earth to do Cause I don't think I'm here or where it hurts Just lucky to have the work On Sunday morning, I'm too tired to go to church But I thank God for the work I give my reward, my work will all be done And I will sit back in my chair beside the Father and the Son No more holes to fill and no more rocks to break And no more loading boxes onto trucks for someone else's sake See the hammer finds a nail, the poor man's up for sale Guess I'm doing what I'm on this earth to do. Cause I don't think of why I'm here or where it hurts. Just lucky to have the work. And every night I dream I'm drowning in the dirt. But I thank God for the work. Day will come, I'll find a reason. Somebody proud, Love a loving man like me. My back is numb, my hands are freezing. What I'm working for is something more than free. Cause I don't think I'm, I'm here or where it hurts. Lucky to have the work. On Sunday morning, I'm too tired to go to church. I thank God for the work. I thank God for the work. They blew up the chicken man in Philly last night And they blew up his house too Down on the boardwalk, they're ready for a fight Gonna see what them racket boys can do Now there's trouble bussing in from out of state And the DA can't get no relief Gonna be a rumble on the promenade. And the gambling commission is hanging on by the skin of his teeth. Everything dies, baby, that's a fact. But maybe everything that dies someday he comes back. Put your makeup on, fish your hair up pretty, and meet me tonight in Atlantic City. man
3: on the wheels off a sacred road. It wasn't a house but we made it a home We see and no cell phones Nothing but each other to fall back home. Daddy milked a herd for a quarter of a head Doing what he could just to keep us all fed Back people took pride in a canvas team And how love one another from the words and read, and busted banks and worn our boots, dusted on all we knew. Yeah, a and a dollar seemed to last a little longer back then. We didn't have much, but we had enough. We were as proud as we were tough. Yeah, boys like us just done what our daddies did Growing up on blood, sweat, and barbed wire fence now, I don't know at all, but it seems to me We could use a little more of how it used to be for we traded a Bible for a TV screen And a hard day's work bought a small town dream And busted bags and worn out boots dust on so all we knew Yeah, a day and a dollar seemed to last a little longer, bad thing We didn't have much, but we had enough And we were as proud as we were tough Get yeah, boys like us just done what a dasty. Growing up on blood, sweating by my white feet. I guess the hardest part of aging is watching things change. Those years disappearing into yesterday When busted banks and worn our boots Dustled on all we knew Yeah, ten and a dollar seemed to last a little longer back then We didn't have much, but we had enough We were as proud as we were tough Yeah, boys like us just done what tasty. did
4: Growing up on blood, sweat, and And I needed a record that I felt had a very, very strong identity.
5: Down in the valley, we're mister when you're young. They bring you up to do like you. was all she wrote And for my 19th birthday I got a union card and a wedding coat We went down to the courthouse And the judge put it all to rest No wedding day smiles, no walk down the aisle no flowers, I think the biggest change on the river was
4: uh, I started the narrative writing where I would inhabit a character with a very specific narrative story I would sing in that voice you know the character and it wasn't necessarily me or it was partly me and partly other people and so of course the river was That was my touchstone for all of that writing that came later where you simply step into a character's shoes and try to get your listeners to walk in those shoes for a while. River was the key to the record, you know, and and that was a throwback, as, as I've said, to older folk music and an older voice. It was a very adult voice that was a political voice in the sense that it was dealing with the Carter recession and its effects on uh, just working people.
5: i got a job working construction for the Johnstown Company. Lately, they ain't been much work on account of the county economy. And all of those things that seem so important. They vanish right into the air. I act like I don't remember. Mary acts like she don't care. But I remember us driving in my brother's car. Her body tanned and wet down at the reservoir. At night on those banks I'd lie. Something worse that sends me down to the river. Though I know the river is dry, sends me down to the river to mine.
4: I think that I come from down in the valley, you know, then you're you're, you're laying claim to that character's experience and you're trying to do right by it as a songwriter. And you're taking the risk of singing in that voice. But that's the writer's job. Your job is to to faithfully imagine the world and, and others' lives in a way that respects them, sort of honors them, and records them in your own way, somewhat faithfully.
6: Lot beyond Oasis Town, down the street from the Mexican restaurant beyond the Auto Zone, and the place that's pay payday loans. There's a Kmart and a KFC, a fitness center and an Applebee's, Wells Fargo and a Taco John's. Good time, bar to get your bad swerve on. In a town that's named for razor blades, all American but Chinese made. Folks working hard for shrinking pay, 21st century USA. Past. We got coal and methane gas We got jobs where the work is hard and stores to max out your credit cards In a town that ain't nowhere near Just like every town everywhere Folks working hard for shrinking pay say we hard for not enough at best women working just as hard for less they get together late at night at bars and bang each other like crashing cars working hard but it don't seem enough calloused hearts make even love seem tough prescription pills to make the pain hurt less Till your calloused heart just needs a rest Look at your children and you hope and pray They can conjure up a better day No one remembers how it got that way 21st century USA Century USA
1: Drive-by truckers, <clears throat> excuse me, the drive-by truckers, 21st century USA. <clears throat> excuse me again. Springsteen, the river, a narrative talking about uh, his writing behind that so evocative song of the cost, the human toil of decades, generations of our economic policy of deindustrialization, globalization, austerity. Heath Sanders, Blood, Sweat, and Wire Fence, the band covering Springsteen, Atlantic City, and Jason Isbell, former frontman for the drive-by truckers, something more than free, something better than free, excuse me. Okay, this is KRFP, Moscow, Idaho, 90.3 FM, krfp.org. Thank you. This is John Andercheck again on the banks of the Clearwater River in Idaho County, Idaho. It's the 6th of October, and joining me once again is my friend and comrade, Mark Anderlich. Mark uh, resides in Missoula, Montana, uh, joining via cell phone, a uh, longtime, lifelong community and uh, union activist and organizer. Uh, we've had some discussions uh, that we recorded looking at neoliberalism, among other things, uh, ongoing discussion with us as it still uh, is so embedded into our economic uh, policies, political policies. And today we're going to be talking about uh, one of the pillars of neoliberalism, austerity, uh, look at some background to it, uh, the fundamental Discrepancies are worse, and uh, as we get later into this discussion, uh, the uh, what we consider both Mark and I consider the 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 eight thousand pound gorilla in the room—the uh, call for austerity as we are dealing with the pandemic slash economic crisis. So, with that, Mark, thanks for joining, and I'm going to turn it over to you. Well,
7: thanks uh, for having me, John. Um, well, it's a pleasure and um hello to all your listeners um we you know we've been talking about neoliberalism you know uh, at least one show here and kind of a, a series and just wanted to give a kind of a simple definition of what neoliberalism is and it's really the full word is neoliberal capitalism is is the proper term and um, in this case, it doesn't mean like liberal politics, like, you know, Black Lives Matter or anything like that. What liberal in this case means is that the, the government does not intervene into the economy, right? So it, it allows the econ- economic actors, corporations, individuals to, you know, to carry out their economic Interests and uh, without government um, interference, right? As they as they see it, and neoliberal um, capitalism uh, came um, was developed specifically in reaction to the New Deal during the 1930s, and uh, because the people who uh, saw kind of moral hazard in the government getting involved as it did in a big way, uh, during the new deal in the 1930s. Um, so, uh, one of the, and, and it's specifically intended to undermine and destroy the new deal. I think that's important to really always keep in mind. Um, and, uh, the, both the Democrats, Republicans today, uh, the leadership at, at the very least, um, embrace neoliberal capitalism um, in different ways, and uh, we're talking about austerity, which really means um, it's a, a, you know, a a political economy uh, uh, term that is where Congress or a governmental body either uh, cuts spending massively uh, to balance the budget and or raises taxes to do that. Um, And so, um, as we were talking before, uh, austerity is something that, uh, you know, people will remember several years ago with the financial crisis, uh, the, you know, the German banks and the, you know, who really control the euro um, imposed on Greece uh, terrible austerity, terrible cuts to uh, and, and forced the Greek government in a series of moves to, you know, cut their government spending to, you know, very little. And um, it's instructive to look back on that because Greece has not recovered. There's not uh, any sort of magic in these austerity budget cuts. And we hear now during the pandemic that, you know, the CARES Act that the federal government um, created uh, 2.2. Trillion dollars for small businesses and average, uh, you know, workers in this country, Um, and they they created that money and spent it, and you know it 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 helped, but of course the uh, so-called budget deficit was is in terrible shape, and now especially Republicans are arguing against further stimulus during the pandemic, which. We desperately need, obviously, uh, and they're arguing against it because it's you know this is a debt to our children. You know our children will have to pay off. We've all heard these arguments about <clears throat> about the the budget deficit and how terrible it is, but um, it's really based on a lie. And the lie is that the federal budget is like our household budget, right, uh, or our personal budget or a business's budget. It is in no way like our own personal budget, okay? And the primary reason is that uh, if I were to create money, if I were to counterfeit money um, to pay my debts, um, I would likely end up going to prison for that. Um, The federal government can create its own money like it did during the CARES Act, pay off its debts, to do it for a number of reasons. Um, and Congress has that power. Congress has that power to do it. So, um, so the you know, uh, uh, Alan Greenspan, when he was head of the Federal Reserve Bank in answering uh, 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 Paul Ryan, who was a, a, a congressperson from Wisconsin, ran for vice president. Uh, Ryan was trying to get Alan Greenspan to agree that. We needed to cut, we needed to have austerity in the social security system. We needed to cut payments in order to keep the program solvent. And Greenspan, under oath, wasn't having any of that. And he said, well, the you know, the federal government cannot go broke, which is absolutely true. It cannot go broke. And... Um, and so he said, it, you know, there there needs to be adjustments. And he was more worried uh, not not about the federal deficit. In order to you know make Social Security uh, viable for the next 30 50 years, he was worried about having the resources with which to buy things, you know, uh, like housing or uh, you know um, automobiles, things like this that. He said that uh, that's a bigger worry to him um, because the federal government can't go broke. Uh, so um, and I think that, you know, people can bring up all sorts of other, uh, um, you know, cautionary tales about inflation and other things. But um, we need to get that right off the bat that austerity is built on a lie. And the lie is that the federal government can go broke. and That's not true.
1: Uh, absolutely not true uh, right and that's interesting right and then boy uh i remember that you know the argument still continues on social security and sadly um, or maybe uh, not said well sadly in one sense and needs to be exposed as the other is uh as i just was saying before we started recording mark so many of the uh burdens on the Nine to ninety-nine percent, or the seventy percent of the country, the working class, middle class, uh, is bipartisan. Uh, Barack Obama uh, signaled openly to uh, Ryan that he would look upon cuts on Social Security and Medicare. Um, uh, Social Security is taxed now, uh, to some extent, uh, for the same reason that they were looking at those cuts is because. Uh, in effect, uh, we're not looking at taxes. Uh, the tax would be scrapping the lid or what we call the cap on Social Security. So, like you say, again, in the era that we're living in, um, a, a sovereign country like United States cannot go broke. And I think one can even look at it more fundamentally is that um, when we talk about the lenders and the borrowers. And the system that uh, we rely on to uh, uh, have deficit spending, uh, that cannot exist without the government. The government, ha- the government comes first. It's not the chicken and the egg. Having the government right. allows for the banking system. So um, yes, we we've seen this in the past. We talked about this just a few minutes ago. Um, this this interjection into the public discussion, going back to Carter, uh, and certainly Reagan put it on roids, is that government is supposed to be like a family budget, is supposed to be like a business. They have to balance your books. Um, uh, Sadly, though, of course, due to uh, globalization, deindustrialization, financial deregulation, uh, again, neoliberal capitalist policies, um, families don't get to balance their budgets, do they? We, so many of us are tenants no. on debt. <laughs> so got to, uh, yeah, I mean, how,
7: how ironic is that, right? And so, um, I, one, one thought exercise that I like to, uh, to bring up to people too, like congressional aides that I talk to and try to say, look, you know, the budget deficit, it, it, it I'm not saying it's not at all important. I'm just saying that uh, you know, think about what you're proposing when you want to balance the budget. So if we have uh, a budget deficit right now of, say say it's $15 trillion, I'm not sure exactly if that's how close that is or not, but it, which means that uh, over time there has been $15 million more paid out by the federal government than they've taken in in taxes. That's what that means. But um, what what you fail to understand is if you so if you want to rectify that if you want to completely balance the budget um, it's a it's double entry bookkeeping right um, that uh, that fifteen trillion dollars that's fifteen trillion dollars in the private economy that the government has put in okay at the in in a with a fifteen trillion dollar deficit on the books of the government okay. And so in order to balance that, the federal government would have to tax out of the economy $15 trillion of above and beyond what it is doing now. And if, if that were the case, uh, we, would, we would be in a, in a far worse depression than we are right now. That would be, that would cause so much, uh, I mean, it would collapse the economy. Well, it, it would, it would really collapse would.
1: society, I think, Mark. Excuse yeah,
7: cla- Yeah, exactly. we, yeah we, would would, collapse. we
1: would be in failed state at that point. Uh, even, a, even a portion of that would put us in a failed state. And you're right, yeah. you, you have to look at it as double entry. Um, uh, uh, and uh, for many reasons, both economic, uh, but uh, fundamentally social, um, uh, uh right. it's not a bread and circuses. It's keeping people in their homes to some extent or the other, uh, keeping, uh, food on the table, um, keeping the system running, a, a complex right. system, you know, of 300 some million people in a world of what, 7 billion. Uh, so, uh, uh, Me- uh Me- Mencken was Mencken's, uh, famous quote for every complex problem. There is a simple answer. The problem is a simple answer is always wrong.
7: Well, I, I think if you look at well, what is the purpose? What is the goal of our political economy? Is it to have a have the balance of payments between the government and the the, the rest of the economy, the real economy, to have that equal, or is it to have people um, thriving and healthy and productive and you know, creating things and um, living a good life, take your pick, right? right? If you believe the former, then you believe that austerity is actually the way to go. Um, and if you know so putting it in that in those terms, our political leaders on both parties have really uh, 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 has chosen the the uh, the wrong headed the the completely wrong idea that, you know, um, we should balance the budget,
1: right? But then uh, they, uh, but not they picked the wrong one from our perspective, Mark. And for those who, have, um, I would, I'm going to guess most of those who listen are going to listen to this interview uh, in whatever format or venue. Our talk here, uh, but it served that it has served them well, and so to me that comes back to. Um, how economic policy political economic policy uh regardless of it if it's built on sand like you said built on a lie uh is weaponized i mean yeah. it's and we talk about how neoliberal capitalism with its uh i describe it as their three legs austerity deregulation And uh, I forget the other one, but those are two of the three, austerity uh, and privatization. Uh, Privatization. Yes. Uh, And both parties have embraced it. Like you said, the Republicans more or less defended under their free market mantra. The Democrats, uh, since Clinton especially, cloak it around uh, their social liberal stance, you know, social liberal, economic conservative and, you know, the Republican light, uh, you know, I always talk about uh, not always, but I like to point out that when Clinton's response to Reagan's the, uh, uh, big government is the problem uh, line from his first inaugural address, uh, Clinton's was uh, the era of big government is over. So Clinton, right. Clinton right. chose, in those words not to have a full-throated defense of a civil society, in my opinion. And I think we're, um, I, I, I
7: was just reading this really interesting uh, review about how the bankruptcy of New York City hmm. in 1975, 76, somewhere in that vicinity, um, really was kind of the maybe the the entree of neoliberal political economic thought into American society. And um, because, uh, you know, the, the uh, Republicans were all about saying, well, you know, liberal democratic New York city was spending way beyond its means and et cetera, et cetera. And, um, but it, what it didn't take into consider, you know, what, what they, failed to mention was that the economic forces were driving all kinds of people out of New York City, right? The the, the political economy. Um, and, uh, and Detroit was kind of the same way, maybe, you know, a few years earlier, where um, you have some of the fundamental uh, economic institutions starting to crumble, okay? Not because of New York City's profligate spending, but because of, of uh, capitalism, right, of, 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 you know, the I- interests of the owning class. And, um, and so you, you, you have a kind of a perfect setup for this ideology of neoliberalism, saying, well, we, you know, in order, uh, now, in the case of New York City, New York City could not create its own money, right? New York City can go broke. Um, and, uh, and, and so can state governments. Okay. Cause they're, they don't have contr- control over the currency. And in those cases, it was, um, kind of a combination of the lack of federal support, right. That, uh, that, uh, I think it was Gerald Ford who refused to bail out New York city. Right. And kind of showed the way a little bit, um, to introduce neoliberal thought into the broader, um, Uh, You know, political sphere. And I think that where the Democrats, you know, um, found themselves between rock and a hard place instead of defending kind of, you know, I think they were still living in the gold, you know, gold currency era uh, where money is limited. Um, That instead of sort of taking on that sort of new neoliberal thought, which they thought was probably extremely right wing, they did buy into the argument that um, you needed taxes to raise revenue on the federal level. Right. And as you do, I mean, the state of Montana, New York City, the state of Idaho. You can't deficit spend in those governments. You have to balance your budget, and and because you don't have control of the country, but on the federal, there's no excuse on the federal level. In fact, the the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York in 1946 wrote that taxes for revenue are obsolete. And he said, Beardsley Rummel is his name, and people could, could look him up, but he is exactly right. And it still is true that um, all the programs that the federal government has, those aren't funded by taxes, by and large. Social Security somewhat is, okay, the Social Security tax, and, you know, somewhat from uh, Medicaid and Medicare, the Medicaid-Medicare payroll tax, but... Um, or at least the Medicare tax. and uh, But all the rest of it is, uh, you know, Congress just authorizes the spending. They create the money and they spend it. Okay, that's what they do. And uh, Rummel, you know, they'll issue bonds and things like this, but they don't even have to do that, as Rummel will say, uh, after their whole experience with the Great Depression, the New Deal, and World War II, which was all spent with the government just coming up with the money creating the money and then spending it into the economy so um that's a really and i think democrats who believe that taxes are the only way you could uh, fund programs find find themselves in, in an austerity trap okay in that They need to, they felt like they needed to make alliances with big business and to grow the economy so that there's more revenue and taxes, so there's more revenue to pay for programs. And this is where I think the beginning of the Democratic Party completely losing its way uh, as it is now. And it's, it's, the leadership is mostly a party of, you know, the, the, the corporate elite. And as we see in Biden and with very little concern, um, you know, by Nancy Pelosi over people suffering because the government stimulus money has dried up and she's more interested in, you know, uh, trying to win the election, but also buys into this into the into the uh, lie that uh, taxes are meant to raise money for programs, which is clearly not the case.
1: Right. Well, that's uh, interesting. Uh, I'm speaking with Mark Anderlick. Uh, he's out of Missoula, Montana, a friend and a comrade, a lifelong uh, community organizer, labor organizer. Uh, uh, another discussion that we've been having that we've uh, recorded and broadcast under various venues about neoliberal capitalism. Uh, Mark brought up some great historic points here. Um it's tied to, uh, its reaction to, uh, the new deal. Uh, and then boy, yeah, that that going back to New York city. Yeah. That was a, you know, I, I, I was thinking about what you're, you're, when you were saying, talking about that, Mark, that really brought it back. I was just getting out of high school. I just probably just got out of high school in the seventies, graduated in 73. Um, uh, uh, you know, of course we're living in very turbulent times, but, uh, uh, those are that time, uh, you know, hard, uh, that really wouldn't have to take a second seat to uh, what's going on now with uh, the end of Vietnam. Uh, a lot of demoralization among the people when so much was exposed uh, from the Pentagon Papers. Too bad people don't realize that the culpability of both Democrats and Republicans in that Vietnam War LBJ. Um, and. uh it was played like a fiddle. Uh, the one side just uh, maintained its uh, strength there. It was as much, uh, it, again, the weaponization of neoliberal capitalist uh, economics, Mark, uh, weaponizing it. Yeah. Uh, and really, it was a moral, as much as anything, it was a cultural war or cult- a front there. I mean, the, the right. attack on, on New right. York City, again, using uh, economic policy, Uh, as a uh, as a weapon in in that in that front
7: yes and there's that's a really good point there's many examples of this of politicians using you know the lie of neoliberalism um, to really further their own agendas right either you know solidifying the control of the you know 0.01% Point zero one percent over our, our political economy, or um, or other things. And one good example, I, I just was reading a um, a, uh, a story by ProPublica. It was published about I don't know about a year ago, a little bit more than that, um, about the Internal Revenue Service and how in during the Obama years. Um, and a little bit after that um, in the second administration, the uh, Republicans uh, were so angry about how the IRS was really kind of the principal tool of enforcement of the standards of the of the Affordable Care Act, right Obamacare and um, and they and they had such a, a peak about that that uh, that their budget was was, substantially cut like 25% or maybe even more, maybe closer to a third for their enforcement. Now that does a lot of things. Okay. It does. uh, One is it allows, uh, you know, and we were talking about this earlier, the wealthier you are, the more proclivity you have to cheat on your taxes. That's, there's been all kinds of studies that show that just crystal clear. And so, um, Having less enforcement powers of the IRS allows the wealthy to cheat more and with impunity. Um, but what it also does is uh, uh, it, it it completely undermines the the morale with the workers in the Internal Revenue Service. And um, under modern monetary theory, and a lot of you know uh, other uh, more realistic views of how. You know the the political economy works. Um, it, that uh, one of the principal weapons against fighting inflation is the IRS, is raising taxes on the rich, um, especially. And if uh, you know, if the if this uh, austerity uh, imposed upon the IRS, which was. I mean, the, some of the Republican leaders were very upfront about they this is to punish the IRS for, you know, uh, being an instrument to Im- implement the, the ACA or Obamacare. Um, it, uh, but also the Democrats at the time were mostly silent or pretty impotent because they didn't want to rally to defend the IRS. And there was some made up stories about, uh, how the IRS went after conservative groups, you know, that Obama was using the IRS. Well, I mean, that was a lie. It, it ended up that the IRS was also going after progressive groups at the time. But, you know, one little lie helps uh, that amplified in the media, then uh, makes it, you know, kind of a stampede, a political stampede toward, you know, letting the IRS twist in the wind. And ironically enough, if the federal government, doesn't have the IRS as an effective tool for taxation, it might find itself down the line once we're out of this depression uh, caused by Congress inaction, I would say. Not because of the pandemic, but congressional inaction has caused this depression. Um, Then, uh, you know, once if we get out of this and there's no tool there to fight inflation, then the, the, the wealthy people may regret that they defunded the IRS because inflation reduces the value of their assets and reduces the value of what is owed to them. And um, and they, you know, they, they may see a drop in their net worth because the IRS has been hobbled. So there's just an example of the weaponization. There's many, many more examples of weaponization of of uh, austerity against programs that one party or the other doesn't like.
1: Correct. Okay. Uh, again, speaking with Mark Anerlich, uh talking uh, about neoliberalism, neoliberal capitalism and austerity, some background here. Mark, we're going to take a, I'm going to stop the recording right now. We're just about to a 30 minute break, which works well in that, uh, broadcast world that both you and I live in where we have to hit that station identification. So folks, uh, just wait here. I'm going to stop this recording. All right. That's the first part of that replay of the interview. This is KRFP, Moscow, Idaho, 90.3 FM. And the show is Labor Lines. I'm John Anercheck. You can also find entire shows and standalone interviews now on the podcast labor lines on Anchor FM, Spotify, Overcast, Pocketcast, and others. Thank you.